Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry designed for you to fail. I have wanted to do an MLM true crime episode for a while. Actually, I tried to do one last October when I was with my old podcast, and it didn't work out. Uh, there was a couple things that just didn't happen in time, and we weren't able to get it up. And so I really wanted to revisit these stories this year. I was actually able to add one more story um, in the lineup that I wanted to that I wanted to share with you guys. So these stories are pretty well known. Um, lots of people have covered them. I am not going to be adding anything new to these stories. I am not a true crime podcaster or content creator. Um, I am a fan of true crime, but I don't think that being a fan really puts me in um, the level of other creators who have a, a better grasp of how to deal with these sort of stories. And so I just wanted, again, like I said, not to add anything extra, but to just state the facts of a couple different cases. Not that these cases pertain to multi-level marketing, but the victims of these crimes were part of MLMs. And so that's that's the reason that I'm showcasing these particular stories. There are definitely more stories that involve multi-level marketing. And if this is something that you guys enjoy, then maybe we can talk about other MLM true crime stories and if this is some and if this episode is something that you guys enjoy like i am so down to tell other mlm true crime stories in the future just let me know um but today it's just me hi um and we're gonna tell the story of a couple different tragic horrible cases i'm gonna go uh based off of a timeline um uh from from oldest case to newest case. Uh, one of the cases that I'm going to talk about is actually um, currently in the news right now. So that was the, the hardest one to find information on in a strictly factual, uh, like screenshot receipt type based thing. The other two had Wikipedia pages where I was able to get the facts very quickly. So I do want to tell you, you can follow along on the Wikipedia of these if you want more information about the sentencing and things like that. Again, I am just trying to stick to the facts. Um, and if I mess up, I apologize. Uh, I, th I think I did a pretty good job. There might be a little bit of discrepancies. I did check multiple sources and there were a couple of times that things weren't the same or um, just a slight discrepancy either here or there. And I tried to go with what I could find the most confirmation on. So again, it could be wrong. All of the information that I got is on the internet and you know how the internet can be. The first true crime story that we are going to talk about is Travis Alexander and Jody Arias. So Travis Alexander was a rep for the MLM prepaid legal. It is now called Legal Shield. They did change their name uh, pretty quickly after all of this went down. I'm assuming to sort of negate any sort of black press that they might be getting with people Googling prepaid legal and this case coming up. So it is now called Legal Shield, but this MLM does still exist. And this was the MLM that Travis Alexander was pretty high up in. Um, I don't know what his rank was, but he was 
pretty high up going on different vacations, speaking at conferences. Um, and, and people pretty much kind of knew who he was in his, in his realm. So he was, he was, a you know, the big man on campus and prepaid legal. And he met Jody Arias in September of 2006 at a prepaid legal convention in Las Vegas. Here's where it gets kind of strange. Um, they're not dating. They're just friends. They just met. Uh, and it, this is probably where her obsession began. But two months later, she converts to the Mormon religion because Travis is LDS. And she's actually baptized by Travis, which I thought was kind of odd. They didn't start dating for another three months in February of 2007. And for about a year and a half, they had a long distance relationship. Now, different sources say different things. Um, so I'm not exactly sure the timeline of this relationship. But within that one and a half years of being long distance, Jody also moved to Arizona to be closer to Travis. So they do the long distance thing. Uh, she does end up moving. Um, but the thing is, is that Travis's friends didn't really like Jody. They thought she was super drama and that their relationship was really tumultuous. And they felt that Jody's behavior was worrying. So in June of 2008, there was going to be a big prepaid legal incentive trip. And Jody was invited by Travis to go. But in April, he bumped her for a new lady friend. Uh, and then Jody moved back to California from Arizona that same month in April of 2008. So obviously something happened in that time and Travis and Jody broke up. So Jody moves back to California in April of 2008 and she moves in with her grandparents. In May, Jody's grandparents are robbed and a 25 caliber gun is stolen and never recovered. On June 2nd, between the hours of 1 and 3 a.m., Jody calls Travis four times. Around 3 a.m., Travis calls Jody back. They have two different conversations that last about an hour. And around 4.03, Jody calls Travis for about three minutes. And then that's the last phone call. About an hour and a half later, around 5.39 in the morning, Jody gets in her car and she drives south to rent a car to drive to Utah. At 8.04, she rents the car and she starts her journey. She goes and she buys gas. And by June 3rd, Jody has the car rented and she is on her way to Salt Lake City to go to a prepaid legal meeting. On June 4th, Travis misses a prepaid legal call that he was expected to be on and nobody knows why he wasn't on it. On June 5th, Jody is in Salt Lake City at the prepaid legal meeting and she now has brown hair and she has cuts on her hands. On June 6th, she leaves Salt Lake City and goes back to California and she calls Travis and there's no answer. So she leaves a voicemail. When she returns the car, it is found that she has driven 2,800 miles on her trip from California to Salt Lake City and back. Uh, you know me, queen of receipts. I went ahead and, and did the mileage from where she lived in California to Salt Lake City and it is 770 miles one way. So there are about 1,260 miles that are completely unaccounted for. And uh, it is also of note that the car was returned without floor mats and that there were red stains in the car. But because nobody really knew what was going on, the car was cleaned and rented to other people. And so there was no evidence left behind. On June 9th, three days after Jody returns the car, Travis's friends haven't seen him or heard from him. And so they go to look for him. They go to his apartment. 
His roommates are there. They say, Travis isn't here. We thought he was at the prepaid legal trip. They say, nope, he's not. We can't find him. His bedroom door is locked. Uh, they get the key. They open up the room. And um, on entering the master bedroom, they see pools of blood all over the room. And they find Travis dead in the shower. So, you know, they call 911. And the dispatcher asks, you know, does he have any enemies? Do you know anybody that would do this? And Travis's friends mentioned Jody by name. They say that she's been stalking him, that she's hacked his Facebook account, that she even came and slashed his tires. The police come and set up the crime scene. They're looking for evidence and anything, any clues. They search the washing machine, oddly enough, and find a digital camera. There's a picture of Travis that is believed to be the last picture of him alive. And then the picture after that is him profusely bleeding in the shower. There's also a bloody handprint that was found on the wall that had both Travis and Jody's DNA in it. So uh, Jody was indicted on July 9th and arrested six days later. She pled not guilty. Uh, and over the years, Jody has denied that she was even there. She said that there was an intruder that broke in and... Uh, Travis was killed while they were, you know, fighting off this intruder. And then she's also claimed that she killed him in self-defense because he was abusing her. And none of those things were ever proven to be true. Uh, I think she's just um, a psychopath. So um, what happened to Travis, uh, unfortunately, is he had 27 to 29 stab wounds. His throat was slit and he had a gunshot wound to his head and there was a 25 caliber casing that was found nearby, which goes back to that stolen gun from her grandfather. Um, unfortunately, it was, it was a, a very grim scene. His jugular carotid artery and his trachea were slashed and he had defensive wounds on his hands and uh, the gunshot may have been done post-mortem. On April 13th, 2015, Jody was sentenced to life without parole and had to pay $32,000 in restitution to Travis's family, um, which was only actually a third of what they had requested. So, you know, that's the, uh, that's the very condensed version of Jody Arias and Travis Alexander. Um, just... Another MLM murder that a lot of people will reference, and I see it referenced a lot, uh, is the the family annihilator murders of the Watts family. So Shanann Watts and her children by her husband, Chris Watts. It was a huge case. It was all over the news. This happened in 2018, um, and it was, it was everywhere. So I don't know if you guys – I couldn't imagine you not remembering this, but let me explain – the very bare bones details of this case. Chris and Shanann met in 2010 and they married two years later. First came their daughter, Bella, who was born a year after they married in 2013. And then Celeste came in 2015. At the time of the murders, Shanann was pregnant, I believe 15 weeks pregnant with their son, Nico. They lived in a five bedroom house in Colorado that they had purchased in 2013. And they had also declared bankruptcy in 2015. Chris worked on the oil fields at Anna Dorico Petroleum and Shanann sold Thrive Patches. And they absorb into your skin. Um, I hear a lot of things about people saying that they, they gave them really bad allergic reactions. But 
Shanann did this and she was pretty high up in the company. Um, very, very much on social media, posting about their daily life and about her business all the time. In the very early morning of August 13th, 2018, we're talking like one or two o'clock in the morning here, Shanann returns from her Thrive conference and is dropped off by her friend, Nicole. The next day, when Shanann misses her OBGYN appointment and didn't return any of her texts, Nicole goes over to the house to look for Shanann. When she can't find Shanann, she calls Chris and then she calls the cops. The police come and they do a welfare check and they search the house. They find Shanann's purse, her phone, her keys. The car was in the garage. The car seats were still in the car. And Shanann's wedding rings were sitting on the bedside table. The next day, the FBI joins the search and they are looking for Shanann. Nobody can find them. Um, and Chris decides that he is going to go on the news and he is going to start giving interviews. It is precisely at that moment that I knew he did this. <laughs> I remember I was in the kitchen, I was making dinner and I was listening to the news. I said, he did it. And I just knew I, I could just tell, I I'm assuming the majority of people that were watching that also knew immediately that Chris had done it. So the next day on August 15th, Chris is arrested. He goes into the station, he fails a polygraph test, and he asks to talk to his dad. After speaking with his father, he confesses to murdering Shanann. According to Chris's affidavit, Chris said that he was having an affair and that he had claimed that he had asked Shanann for a separation. He had claimed that Shanann had killed the girls in response to his request and that he strangled Shanann in a fit of rage. He was immediately fired from his job. And the next day, the bodies were found on his job site. The girls were in an oil tanker and Shanann was buried in a shallow grave. On August 21st, Chris was charged with four counts of first-degree murder, with three additional counts of death of a child under the age of 12 at the hands of a person in a position of trust. And then also um, he was charged with unlawful termination of a pregnancy, and three counts of tampering with a dead body. In an interview, Chris confessed to killing Shanann over an argument over a pending divorce. During the murder of Shanann, Bella walked in on Chris, and he told Bella that mommy was sick and they needed to get into the truck and go to the doctor. Um, he packed up the kids in the car without car seats, and he drove them out to his work site. He... Um, killed both of his children by smothering them with a blanket and placing them in the oil tank and then buried a shallow grave and placed Shanann in that. Um, Chris pled guilty on November 6, 2018. He got five life sentences with no chance for parole, plus 48 years for killing his unborn son and another 36 for tampering with dead bodies. And I believe he um, was moved from the jail he was in and went to a different jail because of uh, people were threatening him, um, which makes sense because he killed his family and he's an asshole. Um, and oddly enough, most family annihilators end up killing themselves too. So uh, it was odd that Chris didn't do that, although he did claim that he thought about doing it after he felt so guilty about what he had done. And another thing that was interesting in my research that I didn't know about, but most family annihilator cases 
happen in August, you know, and uh, it's apparently because it's right before school starts. And so you can sort of hide the family a little bit longer before anybody sort of figures it out, which is so sick and heartbreaking, uh, but oddly fascinating at the same time. Um, to me, it's, it's, it's just wild, uh, the psychological mind of people that do these kind of things. So that's the story, the very basic bare bones story of Shanann Watts, really, really super basic. Um, it, and like I said, they have been covered so many times. If you have, um, if you want to learn more about these or, or join any sort of discussions, there are all kinds of discussions on Reddit, which is a really great place to go. Um, and I'm sure there's Facebook pages and things like that too. But I just wanted to give you guys sort of the bare bones um, on these cases. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet, and they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claim standard approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. The third case is a case that's ongoing and there is no bare bones on this one. Um, this one is horrible, 
Uh, like I said, it's ongoing. We have news as of a week ago on this case, and it is the case of the Monate influencer, Alexis Sharkey. So I spent the majority of today learning all about this case. I really only knew very bare bones things about this case. Um, and I've been meaning to talk about this case and at least learn about this case for a while, especially with the Gabby Petito case that just happened. Um, I really wanted to, to look into Alexa Sharkey again and give her a little bit of justice. So Alexa Sharkey sold for the MLM Monet. It is the shampoo and hair care and skincare line. She lived in Pennsylvania. She was a beautiful girl. Um, she had the cutest little body, gorgeous hair, and she was just very, very popular online. I think she had 20 or 30,000 followers before she was murdered and sort of had um, a, a very small influencing career. To be perfectly honest, um, in this day and age, 20 to 30,000 followers for an influencer is is not that much. So I think the majority of her money was probably coming from Monet and um, at the level she was at and the bonuses that she was getting, because like I said, um, those are, those numbers aren't super huge for an influencer. Um, and it didn't really appear that she had any brand partnerships, which is where she would be making money being an influencer. And so, yeah, it was interesting to me because she is an influencer, but um, it, she's an MLM influencer in that way. So as an MLM influencer, having 30,000 followers is, is really big, but as a regular, regular influencer, it, it's not. I hope that makes sense. Um, so Alexis moves from Pennsylvania to West Texas and um, starts working at a bikini bar in Odessa. Sometime around this time, she meets Tom Sharkey. And in December of 2019, they get married. I could not find a wedding photo on her Instagram. I found that odd. I did find a picture of her engagement on her Instagram, um, but there were no photos of them getting married or no announcement at all. I wasn't around when she changed her name to Alexis Sharkey on her Instagram. So again, I'm not really sure when all that happened, but I'm assuming probably around December of 2019. They moved to Houston in the following month in January, 2020, before the pandemic. I believe he also worked in oil from what I could gather, which was just interesting to me. If you pull up the Monet income disclosure statement, the average earnings of a Monet executive director, which was the level that Alexis was at, is $380,417. So Alexis goes missing on November 27th, the day after Thanksgiving. She had spent Thanksgiving with her friends. Um, she was planning on visiting her mom that Christmas, uh, and they had tried to get in touch to say, happy Thanksgiving, I love you, all of that, but they kept missing each other because they're both really busy. So Alexis goes missing on Black Friday. Her family finds out the following day when Tom calls to tell them on Saturday, hey, Alexis is missing. Also, friends couldn't get a hold of Alexis after she no-showed on them at the movies. They had plans on Saturday to go see a movie. And they thought that was odd because Alexis was never without her phone and even said she works from her phone. So the fact that they couldn't get a hold of her was very concerning to them. Alexis's mom said that Alexis left her house on Friday after an argument with an unnamed person. And then she posts to her Facebook and she pleads with everybody to help her find her missing daughter. Later that day, 
Alexis's body is found by a, a city worker driving a trash truck who notices a pair of feet sticking out from underneath a bush. The body um, is found naked with no visible wounds, um, and it is, it is Alexis. Her mom updates her Facebook page and says Lexi's body has been found. The Sharkies had been married for about a year, um, but there were reports of troubles and that their relationship was headed for divorce. Alexis's family suspected foul play because her mother said Alexis would, would never have been in that position. So something must have happened to her. Tom goes to social media to respond to allegations against him and accuses people of wasting their time and spelled it W-A-I-S-T-I-N-G, like your waste, wasting their time looking at him. When asked by reporters about what he was doing to help with the case, her husband said that he had done everything in his power to help find his wife and then asked the reporter to never contact him again before hanging up. On Facebook, he posted, and I quote, my world, my everything. I'm so lost right now. My one and only. And in another post, he claims that Alexis taught him how to love. But soon, a different picture of their life began to emerge. Alexis's friends say that she claimed that she was scared for her life and that she feared for her safety. And during a trip to Marfa, Texas, where they went to go look at the Marfa Prada art installation, Alexis confided in her friends about these fears. And this was about a month before she was found dead. Alexis told her friends that she was in an abusive relationship with Tom and allegedly told them that he had been abusing her physically. She said, he strangles me and chokes me out and I black out and wake up on the bathroom floor every time. While they're in Marfa, Tom is sending Alexis nasty, awful messages the entire time. Alexis tells her friends that she wants a divorce and her friends claim that it was Tom who she argued with before leaving the house the day she went missing. Uh, she ended up jumping over their little garden fence and disappearing into a car that was not hers. When questioned, Tom denied any marital problems, denied the argument that they had, and claimed that there are multiple sides to every story. Tom claimed that Alexis was unhappy and stressed out and that he would be the one to cuddle her until she was strong. After the murder, Tom got kind of weird with Alexis's body. Um, her mom wanted to bring the body home to Pennsylvania for a funeral and a burial, but Tom kept giving her the runaround and wouldn't let her see the body for at least two weeks. Eventually, what happened was Tom completely cut off communication with the family and ghosted them. And the medical examiner ended up making Alexis's mother the next of kin, and she was able to get Alexis's body that way. Seven weeks after the murder, on January 19th, 2021, the autopsy report comes back and reveals that Alexis was strangled and her death is ruled a homicide. Oddly enough, uh, because of lack of physical evidence, the case goes cold and Tom moves out of Houston two weeks after the murder. The police keep trying to meet up with Tom to get a DNA sample, but he keeps giving them the runaround. In August, Tom agrees to meet in Georgia, where he's currently living. But when the investigators got there, Tom wasn't there. And he had some cockamamie story about why he had to disappear. And he relocates to Florida. 
So during all of this time, the police investigation is still going on. And through their investigation, they are able to establish a history of domestic violence, talks of divorce, Tom not being truthful. Um, He was giving them false suspects to investigate, to sort of throw the case off. Um, Every person he sent was like an obvious fake. And he also had a history of being incredibly evasive. So over time, they found enough evidence to determine probable cause. And uh, what they discovered was that Tom Sharkey was the only person who had the means, the motive, and the opportunity to commit this murder. So last month on September 29th, an arrest warrant was issued for Tom Sharkey. And because this case had started in Texas and he was now currently living in Florida, the U.S. Marshals were called in to assist in the arrest In the early hours of October 6th, the U.S. Marshals moved in on the Fort Myers, Florida home where Tom's daughter lived with her boyfriend and where Tom had been staying. The family was completely unaware of the arrest warrant prior to this contact. And when they knocked on the door and confronted Tom, he ran upstairs and shot himself in the head. It was almost exactly one year after murdering his wife. So that case is currently ongoing. That is the information that I could gather in all of the news articles that I read. Um, So if there's anything I missed, you know, let me know, post it in our group. um, And we'll have a discussion on that in there as well. If you guys want to join in on this true crime MLM discussion, please join Life After MLM, the group. Um, We're small, but we are mighty. Um, And we do little discussions on the episodes in there and share So if you guys want to join in on the discussion on these three murders, I would love to have you in that group. Go ahead and, um, and join. I will put the link to it in the show notes. So it's a little easier to find for you guys. Um, but yeah, so that's, those are three, um, MLM murders, not related to the MLM, but obviously the person that was murdered was an MLM rep, um, you know, this whole month I've been telling just really devastating horror stories and, and show a different side of of the horrors of, of multi-level marketing. You know, it's interesting to me. I don't blame the MLM for any of these cases, but, you know, there are a lot of factors when things happen. I think it would be unwise to overlook a lot of the stresses and pressures um, emotionally, psychologically, financially that MLMs put on families and put on people and the way that MLMs and cults change people as well. Just a lot of things to think about. Anyway, let me know if you guys liked this little short bonus episode of MLM True Crime. And um, I can I can already think of a couple other MLM adjacent true crime stories I could tell. So if you guys are interested in hearing more of these, let me know. Um, and I would love to have other people come and um, talk about MLM true crime too. I want to say, uh, I want to do a little a quick little housekeeping here at the end and say thank you to everybody who has been so unbelievably supportive. Um, sharing the podcast, our numbers are like crazy and it's really awesome. You guys are changing my life. It's fantastic. Um, I'm really excited uh, with the direction of the show's going the guests that are going to be coming up, the stories that we're telling, um, and you guys are making my dreams come true. So I wanted to say thank you. Um, thank you so much for the donations and for all the tacos. Y'all know how much I love tacos. So I really appreciate your support there as well. Um, please keep sharing this. Uh, please keep bringing your anti MLM friends or your 
anti-MLM adjacent friends who just need a little bit more education and a little extra push, please keep sending these podcast episodes to them and keep sharing. You guys are incredible. We are creating a movement that is unstoppable. And I have to give credit where credit is due. You guys are probably the coolest listeners, followers, and friends ever. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful, safe Halloween. Um, And stay tuned for our Halloween episode, the real life horrors that happened to our listeners in MLM. And the Halloween episode also includes a murder. So stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Please don't forget to like and subscribe and share with all of your anti-MLM friends as well. See you next time.